0: On GDC Podcast Episode 14, we have industry veteran Emily Greer, co-founder of Congregate and more recently founder of Double Loop Games. She'll help us better understand toxicity in the workplace and will also wax nostalgic about Flash. And we'll take a look at the mobile game market. This podcast was recorded live online during GDC Summer in August. Back in a sec.
1: Day
0: three, day three. three of uh, <laughs> GDC Podcast Live. I am your co host, Chris Graft, editor in chief of Gamma Sutra. I'm here with. Hello,
1: co host, uh, news editor and associate publisher of Gamma Sutra, Alyssa Macklin. Hello.
0: Hey, so why does it feel like, you know, this is a virtual event, you know, and it's the last day? Why does it feel like we were just at physical (laughs) GDC uh, for five days, um, staying up until 3 a.m. and drinking?
1: Yeah, like my energy level is about the same as it would be on like a final day of GDC. uh, But like my legs feel a lot better because I'm not like running up and down escalators. So notable improvement there.
0: Yeah, yeah. My legs uh, are my, my legs are doing okay, All things considered Uh, missing
1: out on my yearly workout, though, so.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I didn't get too many uh, steps in during the virtual. Uh, Thanks for joining us. Uh, We have a really great guest uh, that I can't wait to get on. So I'm not going to wait, except I'm going to make you wait because I want to do this intro. She co-founded the highly influential web-based gaming site and publisher, Congregate, with her brother in 2006 and sold it to GameStop, as one does. Uh, She's a free-to-play games expert. Um, She's an International Game Developers Association board member, uh, former and current GDC speaker, whose talk should be available for free, like right now on the platform, Uh, founder of the newly minted Double Loop Games, and according to her Twitter profile, is a figure skater, and according to her, just because, uh, um, like, I, I'm gonna be the judge here. She's just a fun person to, to hang out with. So let's welcome Emily Greer. Hey, Emily. Hello. Yes. Thanks for
2: joining. With you, Chris. It was fun.
0: <laughs> Thanks so much for joining us. Really appreciate it. Um, and uh, great, great talk, by the way, which we will uh, get into.
2: Thank you very
1: much. Yeah. As an aside, we've now had a uh, pilot and a figure skater on the podcast, right? Do we have skydiver or was it a pilot?
0: Um, David Gardner? Yeah, David Gardner flies planes, does not jump out of them. Okay, as okay. far as I know, if uh, he didn't bring them up.
1: So interesting athletic yes. copies. You'll, you're fitting right in.
0: Yes. Yeah. Uh,
2: uh, I hope that whoever is the pilot is a better pilot than I am a figure skater. I have more <laughs> love than uh, capability, but, uh, which is not a good thing when you're a pilot, but it is just fine when you're a figure skater. Yeah, but
0: counts. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but airplanes have wings. They can kind of coast if the engine dies. Figure skater just fall on I
3: know what i'm if
2: talking you about why sure. that's the thing that people don't appreciate it actually hurts so much less to fall on ice than on pavement i look at skateboarders and i'm like how can you do it um if you with a figure skater you just like slide 10 feet and it's not that bad it truly is not that bad
0: that sounds painful thank every thank everyone for joining us for the uh ice skating uh podcast no i feel uh, like there's
1: a game dev metaphor there but i'm not gonna go down that whole rabbit hole <laughs>
0: Yeah, sliding sliding on your butt on ice is not that bad. Uh, So, okay, Emily, anyway, uh, can you tell us a little bit about uh, your storied history in in games? How did you uh, become involved in the game industry?
2: Uh, Yeah, I came in a kind of a weird way. Uh, I think, actually, that's true of a lot of people, but I think mine was particularly weird. I had a 10-year career in catalogs and e-commerce doing... What would now be called data science and ua before but it was called direct marketing then and then my brother who'd been in the game industry since he dropped out of college to work on ultima seven uh had oh. the idea to start congregate and i started helping him with his business plan and thought this is a good idea this is going to be a lot more fun than mailing the next million catalogs to somebody uh, let's why don't I work in games instead of cutting down trees? And uh, volunteered as his co-founder. So that was my first entry into games, and I played games all along. But I, you know, I not I don't have that core gamer identity that most people in the industry have, which is I think something that is unusual about me, but also I think is a has been a strength through the career. So yeah, we built as you talked about, we built up Congregate as the web platform. After we sold the ca- GameStop, I ended up taking over as CEO, living out, you know, every younger sibling's fantasy of like toppling their brother, you know, <laughs> off the off the throne. And uh, then we built a mobile publishing business and, and, and published things like Adventure Capitalist and Animation Throwdown. And then, you know, after 13 years, I'd been in the game industry and I'd done platform and I'd done publishing, but I'd never actually made games and I really wanted to make games. So I ended up leaving Congregate last year, took a little time off and then founded I co-founded a studio with my friend Shelby um, Maldina called Double Loop Games, making games for mobile.
0: Very awesome. I mean, like con- Congregate, like hugely, hu- hugely influential. Like, of course. Um, so we can we can get back to that um, in, in a little bit. But mm-hmm. since we don't have unlimited time with mm-hmm. you, I want to talk about your. Uh, we want to talk about your session that you gave about workplace trust and team building, and r- really anti-harassment steps that that you can take. Can you tell us a little bit about the talk for those who weren't able to attend?
2: Yeah, you know, we've, over the last few years, there's been kind of wave after wave, maybe about every six months of stories coming out from different companies and really all over the industry of different Me Too stories and different harassment stories. And I, you know, if I've Every time one of those came out, I was feeling I would feel really depressed and sort of hopeless. And then I started thinking about, um, you know, all the things that we did at Congregate to make things better and to make employees feel safe and make it a place where we could stop harassment. And I was like, actually, that's probably useful advice for everybody. So I wanted to put together a talk that really gives a bigger picture of the problem of abuse and harassment you know why it happens why it's really damaging to the company more than people realize and um just really practical pragmatic things you can do just to make the everyday experience of your employees better but also to prevent abuse and harassment so uh that was sort of the genesis of this talk and um yeah was good and it also draws on some of my own experiences uh in the game industry um with uh with harassment that's the crazy mm-hmm. thing is even though i've only ever been a founder in my own company i still actually had you know multiple cases of um uh you know gender and sexual harassment that i've experienced so that combination of being both a leader and you know survivor of it i think is a kind of a gave me a great lens to talk about it
0: and i and I know the people who watch it really appreciate you know you coming forward about those those things because those are uh, those incidents that happen because I know that's you know difficult to talk about and uh, but it it does make people feel uh, not alone, you know so we all appreciate that.
1: Well, I know with, uh, you said that you built this based on, or your talk was kind of built around your own experiences and kind of things that you've come to realize from your own time in the industry. Um, why do you, I guess, why, why, why do you think that like other companies have maybe not been able to come to the same realizations on their own? Is there just missing conversations or just the company buildup or what's the common factor there?
2: You know when you're when you're running a company there is so much day to day just to survive and to build and deal with immediate crises it's it's hard to take that step back and really think about how the system is working more broadly While i did come a lot of it from my own experiences and things that um that we've done at congregate a lot of that was reacting to my own experience and again The fact that I had experienced it, I think, made it easier for me as a leader to intuit what would make, what kind of steps would make it um, uh, better for employees. There's also a lot that I talk about that really doesn't have to do with abuse. It's just good practices from team building. Um, I talk about Google and their research on psychological safety and how it makes more effective teams, the Games Outcomes project, which you you guys at Gamasucha had a great series of blog posts and was a GDC talk, they've also looked at it. So some of these things are, people are already figuring out, they're just not necessarily connecting it to the abuse and harassment. The Mm -hmm. other thing is, is I did rely a lot on research. I had, when I decided to do this talk, I took time over actually probably about six months, reading as much literature as I could. Um, I got my professor mother to (laughs) download all sorts of academic uh, articles for me (laughs) off of JSTOR. I didn't link to any of them because they're not freely available, but uh, they were helpful for me in terms of understanding it more broadly, and in particular, there was a U.S. Um, EEOC, the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, did a, a a study in 2016, which is just a wealth of knowledge and information. And I linked to that on Twitter um, and from the talk, and that that was a real, really big, big help uh, to sort of get my sort of brain around it.
1: Do those wider kind of academic articles for other industries and for just like employment as a whole? Do those have a lot of parallels with game development, or is it quite different?
2: for the most part, it's really similar. Now there's some situations where they, where they talk about, you know, domestic, um, domestic workers or, you know, satellite retail stores, which are, you know, relevant to something like GameStop, but not, it's, it's rare to have sort of two or three person little pods that are remote in game industry. So some of that stuff is specific to them. Some of that stuff is specific to manufacturing, but because the, the core of the problem comes back to human's desire for power and desire to push people down to raise themselves up that's just incredibly universal mm-hmm. and so it doesn't you know it doesn't matter whether you're looking at you know high fashion or movies or games or a retail store a lot of the same themes keep coming out
0: the way that you talked about the power dynamic was really interesting to me. Um, we, uh, you, you say that we have uh, some misconceptions of what drives harassment. Can you explain that?
2: Yeah. So, especially when you're talking about Me Too, you and all the sto- a lot of the stories involve kind of sort of lurid sexual type of stuff, and it's very mm-hmm. easy to think. That's about sex and about people being driven by sex and wanting sex. Because, you know, again, that's a universal thing that, that we feel. But the more that you look at individual stories and you look at the individual patterns, sex is almost a symptom rather than the cause. It is about that feeling of power that you have when you force somebody into something when you put them on their feet when you control them and so with women when 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 it's male to female in particular it's nearly always power sort of oppression and power dynamics when you're trying to push somebody down you use sexual language that's it seems to be very common men to men it will often happen as well and then it tends to be you know like homophobic slurs and other other types of things but also pushing men into you know female gender as a way to push them down and then it gets into all sorts of other things so sex and sexual language is often just a a, um, just a way similar behavior is expressed. I'm trying to keep this clean (laughs) because it's a podcast. (laughs) No, it's it's fine. You know, know, when male to male, it might be, you know, you're a total fucking idiot, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, homophobic slurs, niggers. And then with women, it's it's about um, sex. But it is always about you're less than me. I'm... Making myself bigger in relation.
0: So I also want to ask about uh, this whole theory of one bad apple, which you you talked about, uh, and you know people say, oh, the bad apples are gone now. You see it happening in companies now. There's a a little tiny bit of a culling of like people who've been caught. Uh, But what's your what are your thoughts on the one bad apple idea?
2: Yeah. One is that it can't be just one bad apple if we're seeing it in so many companies of so many different sizes and so many different regions. It's coming up again and again. It's hard. You know, uh, the actual analogy for uh, one bad apple is that one bad apple spoils the whole whole bunch. It's actually about one poisonous thing, making everything around it worse. And that's actually a better analogy. If you think about it, that is much more what is going on. Uh, The other thing is, you know, there's a lot of denial about about it. Uh, You know, when Me Too really broke in 2017, I think a a lot of people were surprised at how really common these kinds of experiences were. And we've been pushing things kind of under the surface for a while. And so the um, there's a desire. And part of that is that there's a real desire for things to be okay, for things to not be a problem and to not have to think, you know, bad things about your coworker or bad things about your friend. It's also much easier just to blame, to put things all in one individual than think about systemic problems and how things interact and one of the things i talk about in my talk is that you know harassment isn't binary where you know it is you know it happens or it hasn't happened it's illegal or it isn't illegal there's a whole spectrum of behavior that kind that starts with like you know mean trash talking uh that is it you know nobody would ever consider illegal but is sort of the beginning of that kind of um, you know abusive talk and then you can you know get to you know people giving each other ball taps and other things like that before you get to harassment and that's the other problem when you when you say something is one bad apple you can just it's just this this easy problem you get rid of Mm -hmm. them you find them it's over but when you really look at it and it's this whole, whole spectrum of behavior and a lot of people have behaved that way to some degree, then you, then it's just much harder to deal with. And that's one of the things where I think it's really important to understand is that we all live up or down to our environment and surroundings to some degree. You know, we're not, Nobody, nobody's a saint, nobody is completely evil. I mean, there's probably, but most people we're just we're just doing the best that we can in the environments that we are in and we're looking around us to figure out what's right and what's wrong and so when things are sort of gradually moving in a bad direction a lot of us will move with it too and but that also means that if we, we can move things in a good direction, and we can move a lot of people, too, as well. So that's the, sort of the upside and downside there is that we're moving as a group one way or another. Um, group norms are really powerful. And that you need to think about the group behavior and not just the individual.
0: Somebody in chat, uh, Cherry, said, uh, almost like we have a systemic problem, eh? Uh, exactly. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about uh, Emily's general theory of human behavior? That was interesting. And uh, it's good that you, you know, name a theory after us. So I haven't done that yet, but you know, I need to figure mine out.
2: Well, I uh, I didn't mostly as as much as possible, uh, I try to give references, I try to give back, back up. But this is just me talking yeah. and so but You have
0: graphs and everything. I mean, yeah.
2: Yeah. Well, I, I, I am a stats geek. I'm going to, I, I had a chance to bell curve in, of course I'm going to do that. Uh, yes. <laughs> bell curve and Emily's theory. That's, uh, <laughs> that that's, that's me. Um, I'm, I'm staying on brand, even when I'm talking about a heavy subject. So, so, but yeah, my, I talked about it a little bit before. It's essentially, that there's some percentage of people that will always be good and most of, in some situation. And there's some people who will always be predatory, but most of us are in the middle um, in a kind of bell curve around whatever the group norms were, were in. And group norms are set by leaders and by kind of the culture that we live in. And we, there's not only so much we can do about the culture that we live in, but leaders can have a really disproportionate impact on what, how group norms in bringing in, bringing them for good. In some cases, I talk about big, huge games and what they've done there, or Uber being the example of leaders pulling sort of a lawless, lawlessness and sort of disregard for harm um, into to being the norm for that company uh the um and i think you know i i grew up moving all over the world um and living a lot of different places and i think when you have that experience of going seeing people are people but also how they behave organizes really differently in different places um it really helps give you that kind of distance of oh culture is not one thing culture is us coming together and not consciously deciding it's one thing but iteratively deciding it's one thing Oh, I was sorry. reading
1: in chat. Someone's bullying the Gamma Future website <laughs> design right now, and I was getting defensive. But Wait, um...
0: <laughs> I think that maybe we should talk a little bit um, about uh, you know double double loop games uh, and uh, things that you know on on the business side of uh, of what you do. Can you talk about uh, uh, tell us a little bit about double loop um, and what you're trying to do differently there?
2: Yeah. So. Double lip is sort of comes back to kind of my experience as uh, uh, as a gamer, somebody who plays games a lot, who really enjoys them, but doesn't have that um, that core identity, um, that core gamer identity. And for a long time, I wanna in the game industry, I sort of felt like I had a certain level of imposter syndrome. And then we started doing mobile publishing and the the team would joke about the Emily tests, The games that I played, more than six or seven sessions were always um, our hits. I, like I I was like, the team wasn't gonna sign Adventure Capitalist for mobile. And I was like, no, we have to, I can't stop playing it, right? Uh, and that made me realize that what it felt like, um, you know, what was giving me imposter syndrome was actually a strength. I represent the big mass market of mo- mobile players mm-hmm. who uh, play games and love games, but don't think of themselves as gamers. And, you know, there's no part of the games industry that's not competitive, but if there's one part of the market that's underserved, uh, it's that part. And I want to make games for that audience. I, you know, I want to do what most people in the games industry want to do. I want to make games for myself. Mm-hmm. And that. It really focuses a lot around you know why i play games which is when i'm most stressed that's when i'm on my couch playing you know match threes and tower defense and idle games and have basketball or the british baking show in the background and um so i want to make really relaxing games um and i want to make um games that are really social and that help connect us to people and bring those two things together uh so we're not talking about the title that we're making yet because um of there's a lot of cloning in mobile so when you do something innovative you try to you know keep it close to your chest until you absolutely have to show it um but that's the general sort of mindset that we're taking to it uh we're still a small team which is really fun congregate was like 120 people towards the end, and it's lovely to be back to, you know, the number of people you can fit around a table and, and really talk to. We're about eight people right now, uh, and yeah, we're, we're hoping to launch sometime in 2021.
1: I feel like when you hear people talk about games in that category that are like the the casual games, like the farm bills or like sitting on your couch with your mobile phone, kind of like the mom games. I don't I don't like that term, but I know like kind of where it comes from that mm-hmm. you hear about it as like, oh, here's this untapped market. Here, market. Here's how to get women into games and how to make money off of them. Yeah. But you guys seem to be taking a lot more like personal, we just want to create something enjoyable approach with it.
2: Yeah. You know, I think the best games are always made with, real emotion and real respect and understanding for the audience and i want to take advantage of the fact that i am that sort of mom gamer in the games industry it's you don't there's not a lot of us in the games industry Mm -hmm. for lots of reasons and and i really think that we um, and Shelby is also, my co-founder is also a mom. Um, I'm not a mom, actually. I'm a mom. I, I mom, love those like, types. Like, yeah, yeah. I'm not a
1: mom either, but I, <laughs> that term defines mom. me.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that, um, you know, that we can, but because we're the audience, we can make better games, um, and more sort of authentic and, uh, uh more authentic and joyful games because mm-hmm. we're not guessing what somebody likes we are we know what we like we know who they are and uh we think we can make it it's a refreshing perspective i'll
1: say that much about it it's <laughs> nice to like hear it uh, how you guys have phrased it and like your um press release when you guys announced your seed funding was just like this really heartwarming way of describing a market that i feel like doesn't usually get that kind of loving attention
2: yeah that's i don't i i don't want to call anybody out because there's lots of amazing games out there that i have played a lot of but yeah. i also but i but it that i um it's something that i struggled with in the industry is feeling like the kind of player that i am and that that kind of audience is less respected Mm -hmm. and i think it's equally it's a it's a great audience (laughs) and you know and our our needs are just as valid and uh um you know i'm here and i want to uh i want to make games on that premise yeah
0: when you're going around and you're trying to raise funding for this, uh, when you tell them what kind of audience you are targeting, mm-hmm. uh, is there a reservation? Do you have to really like argue for it or?
2: No, I mean, you know, the, the, the numbers are just there, you know, mm-hmm. the mobile is half of the game industry now. I mean, and that's just, Meteoric, meteoric growth in the last decade. And when you look at surveys of the U.S. market, um, 70% of people who play games on mobile don't think of themselves as gamers. You know, mm-hmm. you're talking about 70% of the market. It's, you know, it's hard to de- deny it. Um, and I also think that one of the changes that I've seen since we, we raised money for Congregate um, in 2006 is that there is more appreciation of that the audience, game audience, is broader than what originally was thought to be, and that um, uh, diverse founders and diverse voices um, can help fill that gap. Um, it was, uh, I didn't really believe in sexism uh, until <laughs> we raised money for Congregate. Uh, and it's actually been really lovely um, going through the double loop process just to just feel a big reversal on that. Now, you know, it helps that, you know, I'm a repeat founder, VCs always yeah. like that. But I but I think that there was an attitude shift, even independent of that. And I have a lot of female friends who are starting studios now and able to raise money in publishing. Um, there's a, you know, there there's just a whole wave of us that I think um, will be helping to change the industry going forward.
0: What what parallels do you see right now uh, versus 2006 when you uh, founded Congregate? Uh, are there any parallels you see with like mobile, the mobile game market, or is it just a completely different ball game?
2: I, you know, it's really it's such a different ball game. And you know, in 2006 we were all still on on feature phones, right? Like oh, I was playing Bejeweled yeah. on you know my little Nokia, Snake. and <laughs> and the 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 mobile games market was controlled by the carriers and Jamdat, you know, EA had just bought Jamdat. Wow. And mobile was really just like not even a gleam in the eye of, of or barely a gleam in the eye in terms of like, uh, you know, could being half of the industry. And the other thing was that free to play was not, was nascent. It was really growing in China and Korea, but it hadn't come to the West yet. And so the amount of change that's happened in the industry in 14 years is kind of astounding, um, and it's. Uh, but it's been, it's been a fun ride, and it's also been one where you know every year it's about it's been about expanding the game industry and expanding the audience and getting bigger. Um, and it's lovely to be in an expanding market um, as opposed to one where you know it's a shrinking market where everybody's defensive this is in a in a growing market it's easier to be optimistic and collaborative and lots of things like that that i like i'm I'm kind of like keeping an
1: eye on chat at the same time so i apologize if i'm like (laughs) re-asking the same like uh same thing that chris just asked but um considering how much experience you have in like the pc and like browser-based games Mm -hmm. is there are there a lot of parallels to mobile games in those kind of like how the players are how the games are formulated
2: yeah i mean the the browser games in the late 2000s or, you know, sorry, late to like 2007, when we launched through 2013, you know, that was where you went to play sort of the quick games, you know, when you wanted to play a game for like mm-hmm. 10 minute sessions and to, you know, to feel that, uh, see the innovation in terms of mechanics. Uh, and... It was it was sort of the most accessible path compared to consoles or you know doing a big heavy download when your 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 internet sucked. Browser games was the accessible format, and now mobile is the most accessible format, so that's where you see the biggest audience. But you know, browser games aren't dead; they're the most accessible format of PC. You know, they it's been pretty traumatizing to have Flash go away. Um, <sighs> yeah. But uh you know, HTML5 and a lot of other technologies have really developed and you can make um you know quite good games um for browser now. And as long as the as kids are allowed to uh do their schoolwork on computers when but not allowed to play on on phones or consoles, uh browser games will never die. Yeah. Cool I
1: think my,
0: games.
2: my
1: circle in a uh, high school definitely got like all of the good like Congregate Congregate level sites blocked
2: because of just the sheer volume of
1: time we spent on there. So
2: one of you. one of the secrets of Congregate is I think we we because we didn't have name our name and our title we were less likely to get blocked by school administrators than other sites. So we were kind of like the stealth game site you could play. Mm-hmm.
1: Generations appreciate that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, stumbled ble- into it. <laughs> Olivia Schwiers and Chad uh, agrees. I grew up playing browser games. I didn't have a console for a while and no handhelds, so they were my gaming experiences.
1: Some really innovative flash games uh, that I remember playing that just had like that really good influence on you. But.
2: Yeah, i it's actually kind of heartening is that flash games were such the you know disrespected backwater back when you know Congregate was at the heyday. It's like oh, flash games—they're not real games. But now. Um, with flash eyeing, there's been so much appreciation of how mm-hmm. much innovation there was and how much it was really like the birth of indie, uh, Indies. Mm-hmm. And when you look both at mobile and at uh, PC Indies, you can, there's so many threads of, you know, uh, big hits that came out of Flash, like, um, you know, uh, Meat Boy being an example, or, mm-hmm. you know, Angry Birds is essentially, you know, uh, a reskin of uh, Crush the Castle. Like, there's just, there's so much, Flash games gave so much to the rest of the industry, um, mm-hmm. and it, I feel like it's getting a little bit more appreciated now that it's almost dead, because <sighs> <you> know,
1: that's... <laughs> Sorry, I know someone just mentioned elf-folding in chat, and I just... Went all the way back. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's nice to see like the preservation efforts that of like people have stepped up to the archive these games, and that's really important. And it's just it's that same like heartwarming feeling you were just talking about that people do care about these
2: still. It's just yeah, a flash. absolutely.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, and uh, so what, what's your take on overall on the? Uh, we, we've got like a couple of minutes here. Uh, what, what's your take on the mobile game market right now? Because there is a lot of reach, obviously. Uh, but that also means, you know, there's a lot. It's inundated. It's very crowded. How do you deal with that as a, a startup?
2: Um, I, I, I'm gonna raise quite a bit of money. Is the is Okay, one nice. So it's it's, it's uh, you have to break through the noise. But there is a lot of opportunity there. Like you are seeing uh, new hits break out every year. Um, and get up into the top 10 and top 20 and if you look at it you know because the market is so big a lot of games are not necessarily famous but are able to break through to a significant level and you know really sustain the studio and grow but you know you have to you know you have to make a great game that resonates emotionally which is always hard and you have to figure out the marketing side um and both of those are important um it, it's been it used to get a lot more out of featuring um that was one of the things that was sort of uh, that's been very hard to watch in the last few years is how much the value of featuring has decreased so you can't just build a business off of that you have to figure out marketing now i've spent my whole career in marketing right like i did that. That was what I did for ten years before I even got into games. So it, 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 you know, it's sort of comfortable and familiar territory, but it's it's challenging, Um, and it requires both, you know, infrastructure and capital that makes it hard for you know a you know small indie to you know to um, to break out um, in a big way. Uh, But you know that's the story, unfortunately, of you know most of the, the game industry, you know, consoles and other things where, you know, consolidation towards bigger players. Uh, we were, in some ways, I think we were kind of spoiled for a while with how much diversity we could, could sustain, um, but that's not how markets work. They tend to, to crush that. Um, but it is really great to still see, um, you know, how much diversity and how much interesting stuff goes on in the, especially the PC world um, and, you know, both on Steam and places like Itch, there's you know there's a lot of um, there's a lot of good small games. I think a lot of games doing well on Switch, so there's still a market there. Um, mobile though is definitely pretty dominated by um, big players.
0: Well, I think that you're going to do great. Got a pretty good track record, and <laughs> you're pretty good with a bell curve, so. I think
2: that uh, okay. yeah, we want to be on the good side of that. And then also we want that hockey stick curve. That's actually, that's the kind of curve I want to I drop. It well,
0: no. we're going to have you back just to talk about different graphs and, and things like that. So.
1: <laughs> but only in the audio the format. Graph. You'll have to describe them verbally.
0: <laughs> yeah, the graphs with the Chris graft. <laughs> uh, so well, thank you so much for joining us. Um, uh, just a reminder. Uh, This, uh, Emily's talk is free on this platform. So if you're listening to this right now live, you can go to it. Uh, Just uh, look, look for Emily's talk from Thursday. Uh, it's also going to be, um, I mean, it's, it's free for anyone to like register and, and watch it too.
1: Emily's talk, which was, which was called R-E-S-P-E-C-T, Practical Tips to Prevent Abuse and Build Team Trust, if you want keywords to look for.
0: <laughs> yeah. Um, and that talk, uh, ever since I learned the, uh, the name of it, R-E-S-P-E-C-T, like that, the song has been stuck in my head ever since, so effective marketing. You are a marketer, so, uh, and also there is a write-up on gamasutra.com, and uh, it's kind of uh, touches on a few points, but it also includes a link to Emily's full presentation deck along with notes. So please, uh, you know, take advantage of that, show that to your coworkers, um, you know, that's, and that's what it's there for. Uh, I
2: really had to squeeze to get it into 45 minutes. So there's stuff in the notes that I that I had to cut out and not say. So there's, mm-hmm. it's good to watch a talk, but it's also good to read the notes and see see what things I had to cut.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So thanks again, Emily. Really appreciate it. Thank you so Thank
2: much. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity.
0: joined by uh bryant francis and alex can, can you all introduce yourselves a little bit i'm depth? bryant
4: francis sometimes known in the gama sutra world as bront um i'm a contributing editor at gama sutra and as today has shown i love star wars a lot if you were watching the speed run uh, I'm Alex Waro, an editor
3: at Gamasutra.com, and I got to say, the Gamasutra retro design is about to come back into style. Let's <laughs> yeah, let's let's
0: address. <laughs> let's. let's uh, we we had we had a question in the middle of our uh, our chat with uh, with Emily Greer, which she's amazing, isn't she?
1: Yeah, I, I wish she were able to join us for this last segment, but prior engagements and busy important people and busy yeah. important things. Yeah,
4: I mean, we're lucky to have. We are neither that busy long, nor but... important. <laughs>
1: yeah, no. I wasn't gonna say it, but. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I know we wouldn't be doing this if we were actually busy. Um, yeah, the uh, cult zone games—that's weird. Is that on the birth certificate? You think cult, cult zone <laughs> <laughs> games? Um, uh, where, uh, like, when uh, when's Gamasutra gonna renew the old site? Um, do you have an idea what they're talking about? I mean, uh, what?
1: I think the blinking eye Gamma Sutra logo that pops up every like <laughs> six months in Slack should yeah. be. That should be front and center on our site. I actually. haven't,
0: I haven't, I haven't noticed that there's um, anything outdated on the site. No. It, when did
4: our site get named again? When did we name it after a uh, Southeast Asian Indian? Document? Uh, we we I, did
0: not name it. No, we
1: were we all, all later in of the, the team. But yeah. I was looking this up uh, yesterday. In 1997 is when Gamma Sutra was founded.
4: So, oh, what a fun you- fact. We should have all known that. We worked for this freaking <laughs> study here. I was
0: looking what were you, enough what to were, see what were you all was. doing in
4: What were you all doing in 1997?
0: Yeah, let's talk about
4: this. Bryant, you go first. Bront. Uh, in 1997, uh, let's see, seven years old. Um, I may not have even seen Star Wars yet because I think I, my mom may have made me wait until I was eight. So I would have definitely been playing with uh, Batman figures. I would have been in about second grade, which means I moved to Lytonsville, Maryland by that point. And I was getting bullied a lot in school. That's what I'm pretty sure of. (laughs)
1: Watching anime and eating rocks because I was like five. (laughs) I don't know what (laughs) five-year-olds do.
3: They're hardcore, apparently. Damn.
0: (laughs) Wait, Alex. Uh, What were you doing?
3: uh you know I was just I was just working a job just punching a clock like any average I must have been 11 12 I don't know now I was um, ready to write content Yes, right I was just writing content from the day I came out of the uh isn't that the year the of the symphony that I came out I feel like 97 that's probably what I was doing that's probably just spending my whole summer yeah. eating final fantasy 7 and symphony of the night
1: <laughs> speaking <laughs> yeah. of timely things uh favorite talk so far what have you guys covered what do you like what's going good at the show
4: uh, I'll, I'll be gonna, I know Emily Greer, we already, she, she brought up a lot of points in her talks, but I have to make it, um, put that as one of my favorite talks I covered. Um, she said something here in the podcast that she said specifically in the talk, which is, uh, um, uh, harassment is sometimes about sex, but it's always about power. And when she said that, and I'm just sitting there, you know, that clacky clacky, and I wrote it and I swear to God, like mentally my brain, like shot backwards across the room into the wall. From like linking things, um, only because like if I can get a little personal here, um, uh, I've lived that over and over again. I have been because um, uh, it happens to men in the workplace too, and these aren't mostly game companies because I've worked in other places. But um, I have been sexually harassed while I've been at work. I've been yelled at and screamed at at different jobs. I've had people like I've had different kinds of like threats made at me in different contexts and. It's so weird because you spend a lot of time going like, holy whoa, that was rough. And like you take a day, like you cool off, you're back at work for something or another. Um, and uh um and the the line, like it's not about it's sometimes about sex and it's always about power. And her story in the talk, which if you go watch, is about the um the random game exec who was uh inappropriately hitting on her at dinner. Um just like like the, the connection there like finally clicked in my head, and like I think I started like like I've spent this year like processing. A lot of what happened to me in that context because when the news about um uh uh, a lot of uh game companies uh, being called out this year for behavior that people have experienced with them hit like i started like when writing up some of it i was like oh wait i guess i've experienced this too and like that turned out you need you need to like process that and you need to like go deal with that in therapy like you can't just keep acting like oh yeah like it's just something i cover it's not Mm -hmm. something i lived through and it's like oh no i lived through that and her framing of it that way like i think about all the companies i'm at where people were power hungry where people were like fighting for placement or favor um and i'm just like even when it wasn't sexual harassment i was just like oh wow like 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 uh um uh lisa simpson staring dot jpeg um and uh that that just i cannot stress enough she talked about it earlier in the podcast and that was that's why i was hoping she'd be here um to mention it to her that like whoa like that hit me like a truck but um you know, she's not here, so I can just share with you, you know, some deep, dramatic secrets. And uh, over to Alex. Alex, no pressure. Thought? What's your favorite talk? <laughs> uh, men are garbage. That's my favorite talk.
3: Wow, uh, <laughs> uh, so woke. Yeah. Um, no, that's that's rough, buddy. I, uh, uh, I'm sorry to hear that. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's bad times. I, uh, yeah, I agree. Emily's talk was fantastic. Uh, I have not watched it yet. Uh, I was watching some other talks today, including a really good talk on Hard Space Shipbreaker uh which is just a love that game sharp actually.
0: right <laughs> turn yeah
4: uh, no, actually, I, would, I would have mentioned that talk if i because <laughs> i love the game but the yeah. that
0: game just like twists my brain you're gonna spoil
1: the end of a game right now <laughs> that
4: just recently came out what end i can't beat it i'm too busy carving spaceships
3: <laughs> i can tell you why there's no end because i just watched the talk all about how that team had to uh pivot multiple times including at one point moving from what was maybe gonna be a more narrative heavy and shorter game into like a longer and more broad, like uh, systemic game. And uh, I don't know, people should go watch that talk on the platform because it's packed. It is really packed with a lot of uh, key learnings. Uh, and yeah, it's just, uh, it's, it's a remarkable uh, chart of how an idea goes from a game jam internally to a ship product that seems to have like a huge fan base. Uh, and I think it's really cool. It's really neat. It's, uh, it's nice to see studios thriving, you know, like um, the folks that are at Blackbird. A key part of the talk was that um, they see themselves much in the vein of like a Blizzard or, or uh Digital Extremes or a Psyonix and that, um, you know, they work for other companies and they work on other IP, but they really are always trying to make their own original games and like strike it big. And so go watch that talk because uh, it would take me 10 minutes to sum up here, but basically they chart the four-year journey from original idea to successful original IP. And I think that's really relevant these days where so many devs are trying to get noticed with their own ideas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Can I talk about mine real quick? The one that I was like, I, uh, I covered, uh, um, uh, Karen Stevens uh, from EA Sports, oh, yeah. who is mm-hmm. the lead accessibility uh, accessibility lead, uh, it, um, and uh, the 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 point that she kept uh, driving home was that um, legibility is like she said. If you get anything out of this talk, uh, font like legibility, you know, fix that and. That's my own, that's, that's my, that's me like, like showing my own privilege there because like I've got good, you know, I've got good site, but we're here, but I do remember in 2006 when the HD consoles were hitting, uh, dead rising, like nobody, nobody could read the text in right. dead rising one on, uh, on Xbox 360 and here we are, um, in 2020, right? Are we still? Yeah, That's yeah, yes. We will
4: always be in two thousand twenty. <laughs> Some part of us. So, stay here. so,
0: so. Basically, when Emily Greer was getting her uh, career started, um, up until now, uh, font legibility has been like crap.
4: And then, uh, what do you mean, Karen Stevens or Emily Greer?
0: No, I'm talking about no, I'm talking about Emily Greer's career. She started in 2006. Oh, okay. Yeah, Yeah, we're trying to figure out like frames of reference for uh, for time. So yeah, just the fact that that's not a fixed um, thing yet um, is kind of mind-blowing. And of course, her point is like, you can add all these accessibility options. But if I can't, you know, see the menu or recognize like where those options are living, where they're buried in the game, then they don't really matter to so many people. Uh, so yeah, I mean, and then the thing about comic Comic Sans, like um, I think I'd heard that before and forgot about it. Um, but uh, looking up Comic Sans, I know that it's like maligned and stuff and made fun of, but uh, it's good for d- dyslexia and like designers, you know, are like shut up, stop making fun of Comic Sans, like this is good design. Yeah, and, no idea. Yeah. and then to have, um, and then, you know, I know that there's probably, you know, developers and like uh, designers out there just imagining their game just covered in Comic Sans, uh, you know, but it, she's she said, you know, the option would be good. You know, you can have the fancy font and you can turn on a more legible font. Um, as well, and she also brought up the point: a, a game like Outer Worlds, it defaults to very small font, and then they released a patch that increases it, but it still defaults to defaults to that original like tiny font. And she said, just because you add a size option, doesn't you know mean that you're off the hook for making it illegible, you know, from when you start the game. Yeah. Uh, so I'm like. Like after watching that, that's just uh, changed my my viewpoint um, on uh, on on legibility and um, and really accessibility overall. It's been really enlightening uh, this week.
4: So yeah, that's me. Um, Alyssa, do you have a talk you want to bring up?
1: Yeah, uh, but I also just want to comment. Uh, is there not a question? More of a comment. Um, but. <laughs> It's I love talks like that because they re- t- uh, recontextualize uh, accessibility. It's people have this very like oh it's colorblind settings, but no, it's this wider range th- wider range mm-hmm. thing that affects like people who think that they might might not need accessibility features, but no, they they benefit from them too. All right, that's done. Uh, so now I will say my piece while we have two minutes left on the clock. Mm-hmm. Um, I covered a talk uh, by Private Divisions, Kari Toyama about um, she set up a QA studio um, and it was talking about how to set that up from scratch to kind of give your your dev team the best chance and get like a really creative, really productive environment. And I think my working title for when I was writing the article is uh, breaking QA or people too, because a lot of her talk just comes down to treating developers like human That's beings good, huh? and building community. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a really great talk um, that focuses on her five pillars, six pillars that I can't find because I didn't organize my notes, Uh, culture, diversity, relationships, advocacy, and trust. And there's a lot of advice that um, is focused on setting up a QA studio to make them feel included in the process. Because you hear hear horror stories of like, oh, they're kept in the basement with no lights, and they're not allowed to make eye contact with the programmers. Uh, And that doesn't foster a great working relationship for people whose jobs actually overlap quite a bit.
4: God, and that's so—that's so frustrating. With like, especially when you think about what Emily said. You read stories about how, like, how Activision used to be, or other companies. Yeah. Like... And if
1: you uh, start at the beginning of her talk too, uh, she talked a lot about how uh, Emily was talking about her own experiences with sexism, even as like a high up in games companies, and uh, Kari was talking about a lot of her experiences. And it's just like you're sitting there, like, kind of like, no, I can see this happening, but that—that that really sucks. And those bad negative and often sexist experiences kind of informed her philosophy for setting up the studio and i think there's a lot of really great advice in that talk that applies not only to qa but just to like studio culture in general so please check that out uh it was a really great conversation
0: yeah sounds like it and and all these um these like we wrote them up um on
1: gamasutra.com
0: a website with a name (laughs) yeah so let's uh let's wrap it up um thank you so much everybody especially people who showed up here in chat uh feel like you know but um some of you have shown up um every time and we really appreciate that this is a first time thing for us doing a live show uh, and hopefully we do it again uh see some of you on twitter and, and all that so uh i think that That's it. We're going to sign off on the very first uh, GDC Summer GDC Podcast Live. So thanks, everybody. Have a good
1: rest of your GDC.